So let's turn to John 15 and we'll read the whole chapter. I am the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he's cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask whatever you desire, and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another. As I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this. Than to lay down his life for his friends. And you are my friends if you do whatever I command you. No longer do I call you servants. For a servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all things that I heard from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me. But I chose you. And appointed you. That you should go and bear fruit. And that your fruit should remain. That whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. These things I command you. That you love one another. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they'll persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would have no sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works which no one else did, they would have no sin. But now they have seen and also hated both me and my father. But this happened that the word might be fulfilled, which is written in their law. They hated me without a cause. But when the helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the father, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the father, he will testify of me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. This is the center passage of what's called the upper room discourse. However, if you read Verse 31 of chapter 14, the closing line is, Arise, let us go from here. So where is Jesus speaking this? Is he still in the upper room? Or has he got to Gethsemane by now? The likelihood is he's in Gethsemane. And the image that he brings out of the whole thing is of the vine. Perhaps he was even looking at a vine that was growing there as he delivered this part of the upper room discourse. Primary focus of this passage is what it means to abide or remain in Christ. And that word abide is crucial. It means 
to sit with, to tarry with, to live with. The same root as our word abode. Our abode is a house, of course. It's the place where we live. It's the place where we rest. And what Jesus is saying is, you've got to live with me. You've got to come and make your, your dwelling place with me and in me. The place of fruitfulness is only the place where you are living and abiding and sitting close and tarrying and waiting upon me. That's what Jesus was calling his disciples to. And the image Jesus uses to suggest this is the vine. And this image is laden with symbolic significance, as we'll see in a moment. But it forms the basis of our understanding of our relationship with Christ. I don't know if you've... uh, seen a vine maybe you've got one I've got two of them in my back garden and during the summer months they just go everywhere they get into everything they they creep up over the wall they 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 go they just go they're just abundant haven't seen much fruit on mine unfortunately but nevertheless the vine itself just goes and the the image Jesus is projecting is is that that we will be like a like a vine that is connected to the root but that goes, and wherever it goes, it takes fruitfulness with it. That's the image he's, he's summing up here. And he also reiterates in this passage this command, and he says it twice. And he's already said it in chapter 13. Love one another. The essence of being a vine together is that we abide in love one with another. And finally, he tells them about the world's response, that when that love amongst us is exemplified in his people and the help and support of God is given to withstand the opposition, then the world will see and know that Christ is Lord. So we we begin with this image of the vine. And the vine is one of three trees used in the Old Testament to define Israel. There's the vine tree, the vine, the fig tree and the olive tree. And we don't have time to explore all these fully. This morning, but, but let me just give a brief summary. The vine is the symbol of Israel's spiritual privileges. The fig tree is the symbol of Israel's national privileges. And the olive tree is the symbol of Israel's religious pr- privileges. So we're just focusing on the vine this morning, which is the symbol of Israel's um, spiritual privileges. Turn back with me, keep stay in John 15, but we're just going to go through a few Old Testament scriptures just to demonstrate this. Psalm Chapter 90, Psalm 90. Sorry, I'm lying. Psalm 80. (laughs) Psalm 80, verse 8. You have brought a vine out of Egypt. You have cast out the nations and planted it. You have prepared room for it and caused it to take deep root, and it filled the land. The hills were covered with its shadow and the mighty cedars with its boughs. She sent out her boughs to the sea and her branches to the river. And what the psalmist is saying there is that Israel were taken like a vine, transplanted out of Egypt and planted in the land. And in the land where they were planted, which of course is the promised land, they extended and took it over which is what God called them to do. Then, in Isaiah chapter 5, verse 1 and 2, turn over to there for a moment. 
Now let me sing to my well-beloved the song of my beloved regarding his vineyard. My well-beloved has a vineyard on a very fruitful hill. He dug it up and cleared out its stones and planted it with the choicest vine. He built a tower in the midst and it also made a wine press in it. So he expected it to bring forth good grapes, but it brought forth wild grapes. This again is a prophetic word over Israel that God took them and he planted them as a vineyard and he expected fruitfulness from them. But it brought forth bad grapes. That's confirmed again in Jeremiah 2.21. I planted you like a choice vine, sound of, of sound, reliable stock. How did you turn against me into a corrupt wild vine? And then, of course, in Matthew 21, Jesus gives the parable of the vineyard, which draws very heavily upon that Isaiah passage. And he uses it to demonstrate that that the the, the religious leaders of Israel have have, have been the ones who have rejected the word of God as they've rejected the prophets and rejected the son of God. And therefore, God has taken the kingdom from them and given it to a people bringing forth the fruit thereof. And so here we've got this image of of the vine, of Israel being the vine, that God has taken, that he's he's taken out of Egypt and he's planted them in the land and he has expectation of them that they will bring forth fruit and they fail to do so. And then Jesus uses this same image and says, the vine has changed, it's reconstituted. I am now the vine. Jesus is the vine. We're not transplanted. Um, Sorry, all that God wants to do is now has its focus upon Jesus and upon all that he is and all that he came to do. And it's not about connection into Judaism. It's not about being children of, 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 of Abraham that brings the favor and the blessing of God. It's about connection into Jesus. And that's why he's using this word abide. You've got to be connected in. You've got to be contacted. You've got to be living in Jesus in order to be that fruitful vine that God has called each one of us to be and called us collectively to be. Because we as the church of the living God, connected into Jesus, are called also to bring forth fruit just as Israel was called to bring forth fruit. And the onus is on us is to bring forth good fruit. I'll leave that hanging there for a moment. See, descent from Abraham is no longer the means to receive the grace of God. It's now only in Jesus. The priests and the Levites are no longer the architects of our spiritual life. It's the God, it is God who is now the vine dresser in verse 1. He is the one who oversees our development and growth. He's the one who is looking to bring forth fruit in our lives. Isn't it interesting we've had that prophetic word about the harvest? Carolyn didn't know that what I was speaking on this morning when she brought that. God is looking for a harvest in our lives, a harvest of fruitfulness. What was wrong with Israel? They brought forth bad fruit. What does God look from us, for from us? Good fruit, abundant fruit. God's expectation of his new covenant people is that they'll be fruitful. And so the question is, is your life bearing fruit for God today? Because God is looking for fruitfulness in our lives. It's reiterated several times in this passage. More fruit, much fruit. God is looking for fruit. I think it's interesting that scripture never clarifies what fruit God is looking for from our lives. He talks about us being fruitful, 
but he never says what that fruit's got to look like. Do you think we're going to suddenly sprout grapes on our fingers or something? It's more about, or is it, perhaps seeing others saved? Is it becoming more like Jesus? Is it us using our gifts to the best of our abilities? Is it something else? Well, probably all of these things. God isn't defining what the fruit has to be. Because for each one of us, we're differently gifted and differently appointed and have different opportunities. God is not saying, you've got to be like this in order for me to be pleased with you. He's just saying, let your lives be connected into me and be fruitful. That I might see a harvest. And God is looking for a harvest in each one of us. And that's what his desire is. The, the, the words... The description here given around the vine dresser is he's doing some work. He wants the vine to be the best it can. He wants it to produce as much fruit as it possibly can. It wants it to be abundant. It wants it to be laden. And that's what he wants in our lives. He wants us to be fruitful. He doesn't want us to be barren. He doesn't want us to be dry. He doesn't want us to be be um, not producing anything. He wants us to be producing i had an apple tree in my garden at one time we bought it the first year i got one apple off it and then for about 15 years it stood there and didn't produce anything more someone told me later that you need two apple trees because one pollinates the other and then you get fruit but i didn't know that so eventually i pulled it up because it was never very strong and never very healthy God is saying he doesn't want you to be like an apple tree that produces one apple and then that's it. He wants you to be abundantly fruitful. Every day, all day, continually. You see, if someone is not connected to God, they won't bear fruit. That's what he says in the passage. You've got to be connected to bear fruit. If someone is connected to God, but he's not bearing fruit... They'll be cut off, taken up, or taken away. Ooh, ooh, that sounds a bit rough, doesn't it? What does it actually mean? Well, the Greek word used there can mean two, two things. It can be, mean taken up or taken away. Now, Arminians have argued, used that verse to argue that we can lose our salvation. Calvinists have used it to say, well, those who don't bear fruit were never in Christ in the first place. You can take your choice. The third option is that the idea of it being taken up is that the vine dresser takes it and it's on the ground and therefore it's not bearing fruit and he lifts it up and he attaches it so that it gets the sun and will bear fruit. <laughs> Carolyn says she likes that one. <laughs> you can take your choice, but the, the essence is this. To be bearing fruit, we need to be connected into Jesus. And if we're not connected, and if we're not abiding, and if we're not dwelling, we won't bear fruit. If someone is connecting to God and is bearing fruit, guess what? You're going to be pruned. (laughs) There's no choice. If you're not, connect, not bearing fruit, you're cut off. And if you are bearing fruit, you're pruned. <laughs> it's 
good being with God, isn't it? God's secretaries are always at the ready. But God is, is interested in us bearing fruit. Do you know it uses the word abiding in, remaining in, that connection that will be fruitful. Fifteen times in this passage. I think God's got a message for us. So either way, we, have a, we should have a certain expectation of God's secretaries in our life. Who likes being pruned? Anyone? It can be painful. It's rarely pleasant. But God does it for our good, so that we will be more fruitful. Who doesn't have things in their life that they know they need to work on? Anyone perfect here this morning? Who does not have things that they know they need to change? If you're being pruned, know that you are in Christ. God doesn't prune branches that are bearing fruit, that are not bearing fruit. And then he says in verse 8, by bearing fruit, we bring glory to God. It's our fruit bearing that brings him glory. And we prove that we're his disciples. You see, there's a false understanding in evangelical Christianity, generally. Is that all you've got to do is pray the prayer, that's it, you've got your ticket to heaven and that's the end. Doesn't matter, you just sit on the bus, you just wait. I've got prayed the prayer, I'm in. Sorry, not good enough. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. It's not good enough just to pray a prayer. The proof of our faith in praying a prayer is that we walk it out. And that's where the expectation of seeing a fruitful life uh, comes from. I'm not saying we earn our salvation, but we do walk out our salvation. Praying a prayer is not enough on its own. And therefore, there is an expectation that once we start, we don't stop at the praying a prayer stage. We keep going. We keep pressing on in God. We keep abiding. And we keep praying. And we keep spending time with him. And we keep learning. And we keep digging into his word. And that word becomes seed in our life. And that word, with faith, gives birth to fruitfulness. It's a starting point when we pray a prayer. It's not the end. We're not saved for heaven, but to live out the kingdom here and now until Christ returns. And that means bearing fruit. And if we're truly in Christ, we will bear fruit. And if we're not bearing fruit, then we're complacent. It's all about abiding, living in, being connected to, walking with Christ. Are you abiding in him this morning? In verse 16 it says, you didn't choose me, but I chose you. That's the good bit. That's the easy bit. You didn't choose to come to faith in Christ. He chose you. He handpicked you. He went out, saw all who were going to be born and said, I'll have that one. I'll have that one. And we won't talk about the doctrine of reprobation this morning or anything like that. You have to come on the Bible course for that. But God chose you and appointed you to bear fruit. It's for purpose. It's not just for your own sake. It's not just for his sake. It's for the bearing fruit which brings him glory.
you are appointed to bear fruit. That's the purpose for, for coming to salvation. That your fruit should remain. That whatever you ask in my Father, in my, in my name, he may give to you. We're appointed to bear fruit. And Jesus gives us two proofs of this. The proof of our commitment to him in verse 9 to 10. And there are two elements in it. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in me and my love. What's the proof of we're abiding? We're doing as we're told. Who likes doing as they're told? Not always, do we? God, I really don't want to do that. Really, I don't, I don't want to go to this person. God, I don't want to sort out this relationship issue. God, it's too difficult. The proof of our abiding is obedience. The second proof of our abiding is that we love one another. That's also difficult sometimes. Because not everyone's as lovely as me in don't know where to go with that one (laughs) but sometimes it's difficult to love one another isn't it sometimes we rub each other up the wrong way sometimes people do stuff that treads on our toes and causes us distress or complaint or just gets right up our nose to be honest but the command of Jesus is love one another that we stay in that place of openness towards one another, that we let that which really doesn't matter too much go into the background, that we sort out our differences, that we resolve the problems, and that we live a life that comes out of loving commitment to one another in the body of Christ. Love and obedience go hand in hand, and these things are what constitute abiding in Christ as well as spending time with him. And Jesus said, just as the Son expresses his love for the Father by obeying him, so we express our love for Jesus by obeying him. And if we're not obeying him, we're not abiding in him. But Jesus tells us the positive side. If you abide in him, if you're obeying him, if you're loving, then you're in that place where your prayers will be answered. Because you're in that place of connection. And when you hear in that place of connection, what you hear from God is what the desires of his heart and your faith rises and you're able to pray in faith for what he wants to see done on earth just as it's done in heaven. It's that place of abiding. Jesus then goes on to talk about the world. If love is to distinguish interaction among Jesus' disciples, hate will characterize the world response to them the love of God's people for one another intimidates the world it shows them how they should live when we truly live as we ought primarily in these verses about the world hating us just as it hated him Jesus is targeting the religious leaders who had rejected him but he, he broadens it out he says the world anyone who comes across you who sees the love of God in you, will be intimidated. Have you been rejected by those, by others, because you're a follower of Jesus? I have. And it hurts. 
You're in good company because they rejected him. Has your testimony been rejected when you've shared your faith? Don't be surprised. So was his. We're in good company. We have a message that demands a response. And the core of our message is that Jesus Christ is the Son of God who came to restore us to God and to restore broken lives. And the world must either accept or reject who Jesus is. There is no middle ground. There is no ambivalence. We either believe all that he said about himself or we reject him. So don't be shocked if the world rejects him and you. Because even those who should have recognized him, who should have known better, rejected him. And just as surely as they rejected him, so people will reject us and our message. So don't be surprised. It doesn't help, necessarily. But don't be surprised. But God then said, but Jesus then says that God sends help for us in that time. He sends us the comforter, the advocate, the one who pleads on our behalf. He sends us his Holy Spirit. Throughout this chapter, Jesus refers to the Holy Spirit as our advocate, as our comforter. And both of those elements of his character are important. He is the one who brings us comfort, but he's the one who pleads on our behalf. We'll explore that more in much more detail next week. I'm going to focus on the role of the Holy Spirit that Jesus outlines in these whole chapters. But the essence for the moment, for the morning, this morning is that God doesn't leave us alone. The Holy Spirit is given to stand with us, even when the world rejects us. And he's referred to as the Spirit of truth. He will lead us into all truth. He will help us to remain faithful witnesses of the Lord Jesus, even when our own faith is shaky. He will help us to stand, even in the face of opposition and rejection. And so, the essence of this whole chapter is that Jesus has given us the the key to bearing fruit. The key to bearing fruit is abiding in him. And I just want to encourage you this morning. Don't let your relationship with Jesus take second place. That has to be number one. That has to be first in our lives. Because it's out of that relationship that will flow abundance and fruitfulness. And that's what God looks for from each one of us. We can all spend more time with Jesus. We can all bear more fruit. It also means that God wants the best for us. And he wants that aim in our lives fulfilled. And he will prune us. But that's all part of the process. The keys to abiding are obedience and love. Obedience to God and love for one another. And these will bring us into that place of fruitfulness even when the world opposes us. And in such times we have the Holy Spirit who helps us. Amen. Let's pray and then I'll invite the worship team to come and lead us in a song. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for Jesus. And we thank you for your good purposes in our lives. Lord, we know that you want us to bear fruit. And I pray, Lord God, that individually and collectively we might be a fruitful people. A people from whom you can, you can draw forth a harvest. And Lord, to whom you give a harvest for the sake of your kingdom. Amen.